0: Welcome to the Grief Dreams Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening again. We appreciate all the support you guys give. And I know our uh, guests love that you're listening too. So if this episode, you know, speaks to your heart, please share it with uh, people that you know that may also find it beneficial. So I'm your host, Dr. Joshua Black. Our co-host Sean Ram isn't here today. So I'll be going solo when we talk to this guest. So who do we have on today? So today we have Alison Gilbert, who is an Emmy award-winning journalist, author, workshop leader, and keynote speaker. She is the author of Past and Present, Keeping Memories of Loved Ones Alive, and the critically acclaimed books, Parentless Parents, How the Loss of Our Mothers and Fathers Impacts the Way We Raise Our Children, and the other book, Always Too Soon, Voices of Support to Those Who Have Lost Both Parents. She is the co-editor of Covering Catastrophe*. The definitive historical record of how broadcast journalists covered 9-11. Allison's work has been featured in the New York Times, The Atlantic, The Huffington Post, and on NPR, CNN, Fox, MSNBC, CBS, ABC, and now on the Grief Dreams podcast.
1: (laughs) And which is, of course, the best, the most, and the most incredible. We're so excited.
0: <laughs> and she also serves on the board of directors for the National Alliance for Grieving Children and the advisory board for the Tragedy Assistance Program for Survivors, which is the permanent national organization providing grief support to families of Americans' fallen soldiers. And so you can find more about Allison at AllisonGilbert.com. Allison, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: My absolute pleasure. I'm so, so happy to be here.
0: It's going to be great talking to you. And we have the holiday season coming up. And, and I wouldn't know anyone else to talk to or have on to really talk about the subject because you've been in the field for a long time and you'd probably know so many helpful tips for those who are facing this holiday season with uh, a death or maybe their death that may occur during the season um, with everything going on. And so I'm just curious how, just in your own understanding, how. Maybe the holidays may have changed now that we're in a pandemic for those who are grieving.
1: Well, of course, it's going to be unlike any holiday that we have ever experienced. And I think because of that, we need to approach it in new, innovative ways. And that really means from the get-go, making a plan and not letting the holidays catch you by surprise. You know, sometimes we can do things last minute but i think now more than ever healing will come with being proactive about how we approach the holidays never before more than it will be this year
0: and so what are some ways people can be proactive in trying to i guess say regulate their feelings or make it more meaningful to, to them
1: I think it's a really great question. There are so many opportunities that if we just give it a beat, we can really offer these opportunities to your listeners. So here is one example. We could, of course, I would love to talk about so many more. So let's think about the holidays. And if we're going to have, let's say, Zoom gatherings, or we're going to give each other presents virtually and not be with each other in person. Let's say, for example, there are certain foods that you would have eaten if you were together under the same roof. I believe that certain aromas and certain tastes can really connect us to our loved ones, right? We remember, you know, what that special dish tasted like that our mom made, or maybe it's the dessert that our father, you know, always presented after a glorious holiday meal. Like these are just really important recollections that we have. And so to honor that, we can still make those dishes. We can still make those desserts. Even if we're in separate households during the pandemic, and here's what I mean by that, if we are going to gather virtually, there's no reason why each household can't make the same recipe for that same dish. So at least, even though you're not gathered around the same physical table, the tastes and the sensations and the aromas that are filling each home are going to be more similar than if you didn't try to do that. And I think that's a wonderful way of staying connected even during COVID-19.
0: That is nice. But I I will suggest that not everyone gonna be able to make it the same way because I know I like to burn my stuff. (laughs) Not not by choice. Not by choice. It just some people have that flair for it and I'm still learning how to bake and cook. Um, So it's just like following those instructions as much as it seems easy. It's never that easy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That is actually very hilarious. And you are exactly right. But this, you know what, I want to go on this theme a little bit more. So let's say, you know, cooking is not your thing. You know, you just joked about that. Let's say cooking is not your thing. But maybe listening to music is your thing. You know, why not create for your holiday Zoom a Spotify playlist of your loved one's favorite songs. Or maybe if it's not your loved one's favorite songs, maybe you, know, you don't know the specific artists that you know he or she particularly loved, but you know the kind of music, like the genre. And so maybe your loved one loved jazz, right? Maybe they loved big band music, I mean, who knows? But if that was something that really can connect you to your loved one, then use music, it doesn't have to be food, and make sure that playlist is then distributed to everyone who will be on your Zoom Christmas or your Zoom Thanksgiving celebration. That's just another way. So using our senses, right? Our sense of hearing, taste, smell, you get my point. Like those are all really at our fingertips and I think should not be overlooked, especially this year.
0: I like how you're saying like, it, we, we can use Zoom, right? We can use our, the technology around us to feel connected. And I remember around Thanksgiving, like we never, um, me and my family never got together, but I've heard other people where they got together through Zoom and they were all eating lunch at the same or, or dinner at the same time. And so it was like they were together because we're all eating together. And I thought that was actually a really great idea on, on using the technology we have to set the time to be together.
1: I love that. I love that. I think that's really important. And to set up these times, it comes back to what I was first talking about when we first started talking at the top of the show. When you set up these occasions, that of course takes planning. That takes effort. That's the bit that takes being proactive. And I am a firm believer that being proactive is the ultimate bomb. It's the ultimate salve to loss and grief. Because as we know, death, no matter when it happens, no matter if we anticipate death, when it happens, it is 100% out of our control. And so when we can restore agency, when we can then take control and plan a way to remember honor and celebrate our loved ones that is the antidote to loss being proactive and regaining that sense of power
0: I like that no it, it's it's great and I am even looking at it from the lens of a friend of some, of I know someone who has had a recent loss and so how how can I be proactive knowing that the individual may be facing a tough time this holiday season.
1: If you want to be supportive of a friend, I truly believe there is only one way to show up. And the one way to show up for a friend is to ask the question, how are you doing today? Not how are you doing? Because that can invite a very broad, generic, not a very useful response. That can be easily dismissed as just being kind of you're making conversation. Just by adding the word today, that level of specificity, how are you doing today? Meaning, is today hard for you? Is today perhaps easier for you? It, you know, are you struggling? And that invites more honest, transparent conversations that can actually be helpful to a friend um, who is grieving.
0: No, I, I like that. And I like adding that today part. That's really good. And allowing to focus on a specific emotion today, like right now in the conversation, like what's going on? And you know, let, let's chat about that.
1: Listen, I think it goes from broad to narrow. And when you say, hey, how you doing, that's broad. When you say, how are you doing today, that is narrow, and that is what's helpful. And so to be a good friend, I would just add the word today. And I think it's going to be surprising, I think, of what you get back. You're going to get back, I think, a lot more connection, a lot more relief, from your friend who now feels that you've cracked open a moment for real, honest conversation. And that is, you were talking about holidays. That would be the greatest gift, just allowing your friend to know that he or she is being heard, that their feelings now during the holidays are validated just by using the word today i can't tell you how much i think that word is valuable
0: well just by hearing you i know how much you.
1: <laughs> yeah i love you know it word. i love it
0: but it's just a, it's simply just a tweak of wording and all of a sudden you get something new out of people and i love that i i just love it because it's so simple and we say it anyway so just add today to get allow them to open their hearts more to how they're truly feeling and to know that we remember and we care on how they're feeling today in this moment.
1: Yes, I think words and word choice is so, so important. I'll give you another example of how just thinking about word choice, again, going back to that proactivity piece. I have two two kids, and when they were very, very, very young, and I still do it to this day, even though they are young adults, When I would talk about both of my parents, and both of my parents, I should say, and as I introduce myself to your listeners, both of my parents died relatively young in my young adult life, so I had my wedding, I had my children, um, and I moved forward through the bulk of my adult years without my mom and my dad, and when my kids were born, and all through elementary school, all through middle school, all through high school, like I said, they're young adults now, I would only talk about their grandparents in the following way. And please, if you're not listening, listen up right now. This is so important. I would talk about their grandparents not as I miss my mom, or I miss my dad, or, you know, oh, I remember when my dad, you know, went to the baseball game, or I remember when my mom used to love to go play the piano. I would not use my mom and my dad on purpose. Instead, and here's what I want you guys to really listen to I would say, your grandmother your grandfather because it made my memory about my children and their relationship to the grandparents they never got to meet and as soon as I was able to orient the conversation around my kids you know we all know kids learn by doing kids learn because they're self-oriented when they're so young if you can make a story about a kid And their experiences oh right my grandma now it's about them and they care about the story that much more and I give them the ultimate gift which is allowing them to have their own connections to the grandparents who they never got to meet
0: well you're right just that simple switch of words really changes the meaning and I I like how you brought in children because I know you do some work with with kids and so For the holiday season, when it comes to children, what are some activities maybe we can do to help them remember those that have have died?
1: Uh, well, one of my very, very favorites also involves food. So I guess you're seeing a pattern here <laughs> um, in terms of where my mind goes. But I think, you know, my mom uh, was actually an awful cook and she was an even worse baker. But she did make this incredible, infamous pie when my brother and I were young. And let's just call it her famous fruit Platter pie. It was god awful. It was really terrible. She would take slices of fruit, and she would take store bought, which is you know nothing wrong with store bought pie crust, but she would get store bought pie crust, and then she would make this like gelatinous, sugary, clear looking concoction, and pour it all over the raw slices of fruit into this crust. And then it would like, I want to say gel, I want to say harden, I want to say congeal. I mean, all of it was just pretty gross. But long story short, it was definitely what my mother had made. And it was a long and wonderful memory for both my brother and me. So here's where I'm coming from. If you have a recipe that you think would really evoke your loved one, here's the way to involve the kids, and here's what I used to do. So I would have my mother's handwritten recipe card for this fruit platter pie, and when my kids were really young and I was looking for an activity for them to do, I would take out this recipe card, and I would have them rewrite the list of ingredients on their own pieces of paper. So of course, much easier to just do it myself, but of course I want my kids to have their own relationship with their grandmother and this recipe. So because kids learn by doing, I had them rewrite all the ingredients of their grandmother's recipe. Once they did that, here's then what we did. We approached the shopping for those ingredients like a scavenger hunt. So one child had these ingredients on one sheet of paper. The other child had that those list of ingredients on another piece of paper. And then we would separate in the grocery store. We would go shopping for Grandma Lynn's famous fruit platter pie recipe, and then not only did they write down the ingredients, now they were shopping for the ingredients. And of course, you can imagine the next part of the story, of course we would come home and we would prepare it together. And so it really, it harnesses the power of activity with kids, so instead of just serving a dish, Think about how you can involve kids in the creation of the dish. And I just think it's a really powerful tool.
0: I like that. My question is, did they like the dish? <laughs>
1: <laughs> of course they did, because you know what? It's all sugar, right? It's fruit and sugar. So yes, just like I loved it when I was a kid, you know, obviously I'm bashing it now because it just sounds so silly and really it's just uh not particularly uh very it's not like your most decadent dish but of course lovingly it is delicious right who doesn't love fruit and sugar it's just fructose and regular sugar right it's like it's like a sugar dessert it's just perfect
0: oh that's funny it makes me want to have one right now
1: (laughs) (laughs) i will send you the recipe of of the fruit platter pie for sure
0: (laughs) and so i know we could talk about you know what people can do over the holidays for a long time, but I know you have courses. So where can people, what kind of courses do you offer on your website? Just so we can then talk a little bit more about your own personal life and how you got into some of the things you got into.
1: Well, I'm so glad you brought up these new on demand video courses. I've just created them. They are brand new. So all of the content that are in these video courses are just Either A, completely different than what's been in all of my books up till now, or they expand on themes that I've written about before, but now we're approaching it in a completely new way because, of course, that was books and this is video, and I'm going to have examples and visuals, and you know, uh, it's just, it was so exciting to put together. So there are four new video on-demand e-courses, folks can find them on my website, which is allisongilbert.com courses, you know, slash courses, so A-L-L-I-S-O-N, gilbert.com slash courses, and they will find all the information. There's one course about how to plan and organize meaningful virtual memorials. We know right now because of COVID-19, the way we say goodbye to our loved ones has never been like it is today. In many parts of the country, we cannot go to the cemetery. We cannot go to a chapel to say goodbye with a big group the way we used to. And so So many of us are doing Zoom memorials or we're saying goodbye via Skype. And so this course is all about how to do that with a lot more meaning, a lot more intentionality. And there are just a few easy steps to make these experiences really honor your loved one the way he or she deserved. And so I'm really excited about that course. There's another one about managing grief and anxiety. We know that there is a link between anxious thinking and how it really relates to having been through a death of someone who you loved. And there's this relationship between anxiety and grief that is really worth exploring in this video course. And the last two are really important to discuss especially Around any holiday, whether it's Thanksgiving or Christmas or Hanukkah or Mother's Day or Father's Day, Memorial Day or Veterans Day, just think about the holidays and think about the objects and heirlooms that you have in your possession that belonged to your loved one? How do you sort through those objects and heirlooms? What do you keep? What do you give away? And maybe as I relate to the holidays, what of your heirlooms, these keepsakes, can you then in turn repurpose into a gift to extend your ability to keep the memory of your loved ones alive? And so in those two e-courses, One of them is called Objects and Heirlooms, and the other one is called Photos and More. And so if you have tons of old photographs, if you have old home movies, if you have 35-millimeter slides and you want to learn how to digitize them, how to get more pleasure out of them, and really how to even transform these images so they can really bring you more happiness, That's what those two courses are about. So there's four, and you could take all four or just take one or two. It's really up to any um, of your listeners to decide which feels more um, appropriate for them.
0: I like it because it's right before the holiday season, so they can be proactive as they move forward. No one's been here before. No one's tried to grieve during a pandemic, especially on the holidays. So this is going to be a first for a lot of people, and I don't know what the right things to do are. But, you know, like, I'm glad you have some tips that can help us learn on uh, maybe some things we haven't thought of. And so that's yeah, great. I'm glad you have those available.
1: And, and you know what I would say, too, which I'm so glad that you brought up it. These courses, these on-demand courses that people can find on my website, again, com slash courses. I think the courses themselves would be a great gift, not just for yourself, but if you know a friend. You know, we talked about friends before who are grieving and how you can show up to be a more compassionate listener and what you can say. Well, I think any of these four courses would be a really welcome, unexpected gift um, for a friend or a family member who has been through a loss.
0: That's actually really really great idea of, of giving them as gift. Is there a process in a way that people can do that? Um, I'm not sure how the sign up process is. Like, could they sign up a friend or could they email you saying it's for a friend? Yeah,
1: or- I think- Yeah, you know what, I just thought about that right off the cuff as I was speaking to you, but you know what, we really could do that in a very easy way. And so if your listeners want to do that and they want to get one of my courses for a family member or a friend, what I would say is either A, you can purchase it for them and then, of course, give them the URL and the sign up information because each course is, of course, password protected. So you can do it for them. Or what might also be potentially easier for you is just shoot me an email and I could process it for you on behalf of your family member. And my email, of course, because you're going to need that, is you can either find it on my website or my email is Allison at AllisonGilbert.com. Dot com and we will take care of you no matter what i promise
0: that's amazing Oh, uh, that's great yeah that's uh that's such a great because i'm always like right now i'm not even thinking about a lot of people and what kind of gifts can i give them and i never even thought about gifting e-courses and so but this is the changing times and a lot of people would value that as a, a beautiful gift so you know thank you for bringing that to to my attention and to the listeners attention
1: well, I really hope people take me up on it. I think that these um, on-demand courses—I designed them, by the way—so they're short. These are not like a five-hour, multi-day, um, you know, intrusion on someone's life. These are all less than one hour. They're all snackable, meaning that you can kind of do it over a lunch break or maybe, like you know, right before you go to bed. These are snackable. These are short. They are impactful, and they all come with lots of free downloads. And so lots of free downloads that, again, you can read when you have the time. You can read and take advantage of them when you have the bandwidth. Because we know not every day you're going to have the time to kind of go on to a Zoom and. Listen to something or watch something as it's unfolding live, and that's why I did all of these video courses on demand, so you can watch them and re-watch them anytime.
0: That's great. No, I'm, I'm happy you're able to do that, and I hope people check that out. You mentioned just in the conversation that both your parents died earlier on. Can you take me through, you know, how that was for you as as a child processing that? Were you a child? Yeah. Yeah, no,
1: um I, I wasn't I wasn't a child. I was a young adult and how did I process it? It was hard. It really it was awful, you know, as we all know. Grief is hard no matter when it happens. So I um I was thrown for many years because it was so hard. Um my mother passed away of ovarian cancer when I was twenty five. So right after I graduated college and I was just beginning my young adult life, but she died before I was married and before my son and my daughter um, were born. And my father died um, a few days after 9-11, and that was just about five years after my mother had already passed away. So within five years, um, I was without either one of them, and it set me on a course of not only a personal journey with grief and loss, but then it pivoted to this professional journey where now, when I write my books about grief and loss and resilience, this is what anchors me because I've been there and that I wanted to use my skill set as a journalist um, and to bring those skills to bear and interview experts and other people who have gone through their own grief experiences and have those be reflected in my articles, in my essays, and in the books that I write.
0: I'm curious, since you were a journalist when your both your parents have, have died, did being a journalist trigger your grief in any way, especially covering 9-11?
1: No, I don't think so. I think it's a really interesting question. And I think that the best advice I ever got was more about the importance of writing after a traumatic experience, which of course I would put 9-11 under the trauma umbrella. I would put the deaths of my parents under the trauma umbrella, but writing for all kinds of trauma we know is incredibly healing. For me, because we're talking about 9-11, the advice that I was given after I was way too close to the unfolding events and nearly killed that day was to help cure, help calm, help make me move through what I was suffering, which was uh, definitely PTSD, was to write down my experiences of that day, to purge these thoughts, these memories, this kind of continuous movie reel that was going in my brain about what I saw that day, to literally get it out of my system if I could and get it down on paper. And the only way I can describe why this is so helpful to everyone who is listening to your podcast today is that imagine if you ate something and it really made your stomach upset and you know that as soon as you, I hate to be so gross, so forgive me, as soon as you throw up, you know, you sometimes feel better, right? Like you get it out of your system, that's why your body works that way. Your body is moving something that doesn't work outside of itself so you could feel better. That is what writing did for my emotions. It was the same thing. It was as if I was vomiting my emotions onto the page. And in so doing, I actually got to feel better and put myself on a path that really allowed me um, to begin to heal. And so writing, writing, writing. You don't have to be someone who keeps a diary every day. You don't have to be someone who journals even every week it could be one time maybe one afternoon where you're just kind of venting to the page it's incredibly healing
0: that's interesting I'm curious what did you do with the writing afterwards did you throw it out did you burn it do you still have it
1: you know what it's really interesting that you asked me that question it actually became the seed that produced my first book But my first book took my background as a journalist. I was a TV journalist for quite some time. I worked at CNN and MSNBC, and I was also in New York City at the local NBC, ABC, and CBS stations. And so I took that experience of being a TV journalist, and I worked with other broadcasts journalists, again, expanding it beyond TV now, now including radio. And we wrote a book called Covering Catastrophe, Broadcast Journalist's Report 9-11. And that was my first way of writing down in the introduction and throughout the entire book, this experience that I've just described to you now, and giving voice to what I had seen giving voice and allowing that to be an opportunity for other journalists as well. So yes, to answer your question, I saved what I wrote and it became the inspiration for my very first book.
0: Wow, that's, uh, that's pretty interesting. And did you find that when people wrote their stories that it was cathartic in a way that it brought up these emotions and feelings that were helpful?
1: One hundred percent. So some of the uh, broadcast journalists who we interviewed or uh, some of the broadcast journalists actually submitted their own writings in the first person. So whether or not we interviewed them or they submitted their feelings on paper to us, right? It just, you know, one person did it one way, another person did another way. Now, whether or not you were Tom Brokaw, whether or not you were Mika Brzezinski, whether or not you were any other of the famous journalists who we interviewed for that book, it in fact was cathartic because so often journalists have to be dispassionate. They cover the unfolding news events and they're not supposed to in theory, have opinion or share their point of view. And so 9-11 began a very different experience where journalists really were a part of an unfolding event. It wasn't a war zone, right? So this happened where many journalists lived. So if you were in New York City that day, you were covering stories as part of your normal career, whether it was New York City Fashion Week or whether it was the New York City Mayoral Primary, but generally speaking, you lived and worked in New York, so this was happening on your own turf, and so you needed to process what not only you were covering, but your own personal story, and so I do think it did help, and again, you would have to ask every single person who we included, But I think as a general statement that it was cathartic for many of the contributors.
0: That's amazing. I think it also brings up to another gift that someone could give is a journal to someone who is grieving. Yes.
1: Yes. What a great idea. Of course. What a super idea.
0: (laughs) Hey, I'm always thinking my mind's on holidays. (laughs)
1: I love that idea. That's really, really a brilliant gift. A journal. For anyone who's been through any sort of rough experience, especially grief, a journal would be a very welcome present.
0: Because you can write down your thoughts and and feelings, but you can also write down your dreams.
1: (laughs) Yes. Oh, yes. Of course. Your grief dreams. (laughs) What a perfect segue.
0: You like that? Okay. <laughs> I
1: love it. I love it. You must be an expert podcaster.
0: I am. I've been doing this a few times. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so my, my question to you is, have you had a dream of anyone, your parents or anyone else who have died?
1: Well, this is what's so sad and what I really need your advice about. So I know I've had dreams about my mom, Again, she died when I was 25, and I know I've had dreams about my father, and he died when I was 31, and I am much older than 31 now, and I know I've dreamt about my parents, but here's the issue that I need your help with. So I have the feelings that the dreams left me with the feelings of feeling warm and loved and cared for and that tenderness. And I almost feel the heat of that affection, you know, that real sense of heat where you feel another one's presence. But I don't remember long after the dreams are over what we were actually doing in the dream or where I saw them in the dream. So they're much more, when I wake up, they're very visceral and they almost feel tangible. But within moments, I feel like they evaporate. And what I'm left with are the kind of residual um good feelings. And I'm wondering what you think of that.
0: I think it's interesting uh, just to sort of talk about because, yeah, like many people, just dreams in general, they fade so fast, right? When we wake up and the solution to that, if you want to keep them, is to really focus after you have a dream to not think of anything that you need to do that day. To really close your eyes, keep them closed and rehearse that dream. So then that dream can transfer to long term memory and you can hold it and then you'd wake up and you want to write it down. and so this is the big thing a lot of people just don't do that we wake up and we're like, Oh, that was an amazing dream. And we'll go to the washroom. And then it's, we, we f- totally forget about it. And so it's about yeah, you yeah. Know, taking the time to value that moment and then writing it down, knowing that there is a possibility that you're going to have a hard time retrieving that dream. And you know, you could talk, there's a bunch of theories on the issues with retrieval. It seems that these dreams are being stored. It's just the retrieval process. That's the issue. And that's a, that's just something you have to work with. So that's why dream journals are always such a key factor, especially with these beautiful dreams that you have. Some people, like I know, they it stays with them forever. But some people, it was meaningful at a time. And then as they look back, they forget details. And that's what you're saying. Like you remember the feeling. So the feeling itself was the most important aspect of this dream, it seemed for you. And then the images have slowly faded away and you just can't get there. You can't retrieve what that dream was and you know for i always just look at the the significance of that and i wonder why that is right like like why do some people remember their dreams for 40 years but like the whole dream with the feelings and you just remember the feelings
1: you just made me think of something that the next time i need to um honor um a friend's loss that there are so many go-to gifts that I have given over the years that are, I think, really helpful. And I'm very proud and um, I'm happy with what I have chosen to give over the years to friends who are grieving or who've just suffered a loss. But I think you've just inspired me to add to my toolbox. And I think what I'm going to add to my toolbox is a journal because for them to keep by their bed, to record their grief dreams, and I think that if you, even the day after someone suffers a loss, a journal is such a supportive way of showing up for somebody, because who knows when those dreams will kick in, and what a gift it would be to allow them the opportunity to start recording them, and so you've, thank you, you've just added to my um, toolbox of, of presents, of gifts, of, of things that I like to give um, friends and family, colleagues of mine who have lost a loved one. So thank you. That's a fantastic idea.
0: That's great. And what's really interesting about just dream research in general is when you start, remember, when you start writing down your dreams and you start valuing them a little bit more, what happens is you're, you start remembering more details of dreams. Then you'll start to remember more dreams per night. And so it could be, too, that, you know, you're just not used to valuing dreams as our society just doesn't. And the more we can value them, the more our mind wants to remember them. You're almost having to retrain your mind from all those years that you've been around that, know, that people have said that dreams are meaningless. So why, why would the mind really want to remember them? But the moment you sort of start saying, no, actually, there is something here that can be meaningful to me and help me through my life. I want to learn more of these the mind will then start to remember these for you so it's a very beautiful tactic too on just remembering more dreams in general
1: is there a certain number of dreams that we definitely have every single night
0: yeah we're actually dreaming throughout throughout the night so if you're having we're dreaming in non-rem and rem so in rem it's around 80 percent of the time if someone wakes you up you're going to have a a dream and non-rem it's around 50 percent of the time and with children they just dream a little less but so throughout your whole night, you're, you're dreaming. And so I don't know what that would be in, say, eight hours. You're probably dreaming six hours of that. And we only remember maybe the last dream we have when we wake up. And that's usually in a REM state. But, you know, that's, that, that's the interesting thing. So there's so much going on behind the scenes when we're sleeping. And when I first started dreaming, so the average of dreaming is around two, to, about, around two dreams a week that people remember. And mine was around three, and then I started using a dream diary, and all of a sudden I was remembering like three, four dreams a night. And so I actually had to stop because I just <laughs> it was waking me up all the time. And so I really just calm down. I only write down the more meaningful dreams now. But at the end of the day, it's just it's interesting how there's so much going on, so much rich information that's being processed. That you know, if we look at it, can help us. And just through my research, dream recall is a big factor on on who remembers these dreams of the deceased. So people who have a higher recall rate will remember more dreams of their deceased loved ones and as you sort of said yours were comforting and most people's dreams will be comforting after loss as it's you know as research has shown that they are these dreams do act a little differently than most dreams and they are seem to they seem to be uh, to support us through our grief for the most part in the sense of continuing bonds and helping us with our emotional state to um, which it's very difficult during grief so yeah at the end of the day I think it's a great idea I'm glad you're adding it to your repertoire
1: I love it. I love it.
0: I'm curious, since you can't remember those dreams. I'm glad they're positive, by the way. Um, That's amazing. Have you ever asked your kids if they ever dreamt of your your parents?
1: Well, they never. My daughter never met either one of my parents. And my son was only a toddler when my father passed away. And so my son was only 18 months old. Um, He never met my mom. um, And my daughter never met either one of them.
0: Fun fact, (laughs) you don't need to actually meet them to dream of them. I had, we had a guest on here and she never met her father. She, when she was in womb, he died. And it was only later on in her life, she started to dream of him as a father figure and was giving her advice through her relationships and through high school. And she developed actually a bond. And that's when she first felt that she had a father. And so I've taken that throughout. And that's why I keep I ask people because like there is a possibility that they have dreamt of them. You just haven't. You just don't know about it.
1: Well, that's also fascinating. This entire episode has blown my mind. And so now what I'm going to do as soon as we're done recording is I'm going to ask my son and I'm going to ask my daughter if that has ever shown up for them. Because, of course, I've never thought to ask them I had assumed, clearly, incorrectly, that since they didn't know their grandparents, that they would not have dreamt of their grandparents. But now you've given me a new question to ask them. So once again, you have blown my grief <laughs> dreams mind.
0: That's why we're here. That's, <laughs> that's why we're, <laughs> yeah, to me, it's amazing field and there's just so much to know and be aware of and just by asking the questions amazing what you actually get here because people just they hide it for whatever reason they don't want people to feel jealous and all sorts of different ideas of dreams but just by asking the questions people will open up so much more and it's a great way to facilitate even discussion on maybe if they didn't have a dream what dream they would want to have if they could so i'm going to ask you this now what dream would you want to have of someone who has died it could be a lot of people or just, you know, one person. What would that dream look like to you?
1: Wow, that is such a great question. I think with both of my parents, I feel like if part of me feels if they came back into my life today, that we would pick up right where we left off. And then there is other parts of me that of course would want to literally show them around my life. I would want them to see where i live i would want them to meet and talk to their grandchildren and i would just want to sit and talk and hug and kiss and hold their hands and just it doesn't involve being anywhere except in the environments where i wish they could have been all along so it doesn't mean we're going on a new adventure. It doesn't mean that we're going to enjoy a show or a concert. We're not doing anything except them being reintegrated into my life as it exists today. It's just being in my home. It's just being around my family. It's just sitting down at the dinner table and having a conversation about their day you know um it's as normal and as simple as that
0: that's beautiful it's a beautiful dream to to want during the holidays would they ever wear an ugly sweater <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh my god, you are hilarious. I I definitely think for two different reasons my parents would both wear ugly sweaters. My mom would do it intentionally because she thinks it would because she thinks it would have been funny, and my dad would wear an ugly sweater that he actually intended for it to look cool, and he actually wouldn't know that it's an ugly sweater and then that's what he would be wearing, but it actually would be an ugly sweater.
0: <laughs> that's so funny. <laughs> Uh, and I like too how you're explaining how like you want to touch them you want the last sensory experiences but you didn't mention what you want a, the environment to smell like do you want some food being in the oven that's one thing you that was been filtered out through this episode is how much you love the smell of food and cooking and that kind of sensory information so would what kind of smells would be in the air for you
1: You know it's funny the um thinking that has been going through my head ever since you posed such an interesting question. It's devoid of any sort of cooking. It's devoid of any sort of smells. There's no music on. And so everything that I've already talked about in terms of generating those memories or maybe kind of feeling that impact of those relationships that you want to honor over the holidays, When I think about my dreams, interestingly enough, if I had my parents back in my home the way I've described, it's silent except for conversation. And it doesn't really, even though I said gathering around the table, I have no concept of what we would be eating and if we would be eating at all. It's just a matter of just the integration of them just being in the fabric of a daily life, my daily routine.
0: Oh, that's so interesting. It's so interesting how, because they're part of the imagery, you don't need the sounds, you don't need the smells to remember them because they're right there. That's so cool. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's so, wow, this has been eye-opening. This has been ear-opening. It's a podcast. It's ear-opening.
0: That's great. I'm glad you're enjoying yourself. And I wanna also <laughs> mention, <laughs> and I wanna to mention to our listeners too, like it is because the holidays are coming, they are, may actually be remembering more dreams of their loved one. There was a study I, I did do that looked at a Dream Journal and the individual had most of her dreams around the holidays because it was a big time and a special time for her and her father. And so these may be moments you may be having more of these than normal, and people and your family members may be having more of them. So it's one of those thing questions to ask because you never know what you're gonna get from individuals on on what their dreams were and if it was positive or negative. So I just want to remind people to ask the question this holiday season to see what people are dreaming and if it was if it's helping them throughout the holidays.
1: You know, we talked about the new uh, courses that I've put together, these new video on demand courses. And as you're talking, I think we need a course about grief dreams.
0: We do need a course, and, and and that's why I am making one as we speak. It should be Yay. up shortly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and but it's gonna be it's not gonna be a simple clip. Like yours, mine's. I, I haven't calculated out, it, but it's probably gonna be like eight hours just for the first part of it. Um, in small smaller segments, hour segments to talk about you know sleep dreams, like everything you need to know to then talk about grief dreams with people. And so there's just a lot of information that I've been waiting for people to. So I've always had a, a dream and a vision to be able to help people understand this. And this is the, the first push to get people to understand a topic almost as well as I do. I, just based on everything I've experienced and the research I've done, it pushes it out there for people to be able to take this course to then say, oh, OK, I didn't know that. I didn't know this culture, you know, sees dreams this way. and It can be very distressing or I didn't know the, the research was out there. So this is like really a one stop shop for that. And so I'm, I'm, I'm glad you want it out there because it's coming. It's coming. <laughs>
1: I love it. I love it. That is such great news.
0: All right. So this has been a great conversation. Thank you so much for coming on. Where can people find you and your books?
1: Well, please, the best way, thank you, by the way, so much for this opportunity, for allowing me to spend time with your listeners. This has been such fun. I am really accessible. So my website is com. If folks want to uh, check out those e-courses that we were just talking about, it's com. Courses and, of course, the uh, social media channels are a wonderful way of keeping this conversation going. And I'm on Facebook, and I'm on Instagram, and I'm on Twitter. Uh, a Gilbert writer. Uh, those are what you can use to find me on Instagram and Twitter a Gilbert writer and on Facebook just put in um, Allison Gilbert author and you will come up with my Facebook page and I just really would love to stay connected to your audience I have really just my jaw it has been dropped this has been so much fun
0: I'm glad it was enjoyable. That's what we're going for. <laughs> if people leave miserable, we're not doing a good job. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So to wrap up our stuff, if you want to know more about grief dreams, visit the grief dreams platform. So you go to the website griefdreams.ca. You'll find all of our information on there about the Facebook group and Instagram and Twitter accounts. Also, if you want to support the podcast, you can uh, there also, and there's links to through our website. And as we like to say, with love and gratitude from us to you.